Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Strength and Conditioning at the NSCA, Scott Caulfield. Thanks for tuning in to episode 111 of the Pace Performance Podcast. So today we have Scott Caulfield, who is the Head of Strength and Conditioning at the NSCA. So it was great to get Scott on, definitely one of the nicest guys we've had on the podcast so far. Um, so it was great to, um, to chat about lots of things, from internships to personal training once again, uh, and his background in, uh, in, that, in that area. Building a strong network, and his coaching philosophy, which we discuss at length um, in part two. So just before we get into the chat with Scott, uh, got a nice little surprise for you. Uh, It was actually a nice little surprise for me. So every other week, Coach Me Plus have been providing a sports science minute for us, just giving us a little uh, snapshot of information, whether it be on weightlifting derivatives, whether it be on um, teaching the Olympic lifts, uh, managing data, but this week we have um, a Coach Me Plus special guest in Jay DeMeo. So Jay's going to talk to us a little bit about nutrition and how he uses the resources he's got um, at his place of work to educate his athletes when it comes to nutrition. So massive thanks to Jay. Uh, absolutely love Jay. And while I think about it, I actually need to get him on for a part two because I would absolutely love that. So enjoy a little talk with Jay and enjoy the podcast with Scott and I will speak to you soon. Hey guys, my name is Jay DeMeo. I'm the head strength coach at the University of Richmond and I'm also the owner of Central Virginia Sport Performance, which is probably most known for our yearly event in July the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. Uh, The event is kind of friendly known as CVASP by many people within the business. Um, Before we really get into this, I'd like to first thank Kevin and everyone at Coach Me Plus for having me on and including me in this great project. And I would also, because I'm sure this is going to be placed on his podcast as well, like to thank Rob Pacey for everything he does for the profession, pushing it forward, providing such a great resource, uh, being a podcaster myself. I know the time it takes to get into it. So Rob, thank you. Keep up the great work, buddy. We do appreciate it. Um, so let's get into what we're talking about today. What I want to do is, is give you guys a few of these quick talks about things that I believe we had some really good success with. Uh, and today we're going to talk about how we worked with our nutrition staff on campus in order to help our players gain and or retain weight. So we're not a big institution here. It's 3,500 total students. Uh, we are in the Atlantic 10 Conference, which is you know a bigger basketball conference, but we don't necessarily have all the same resources as some other schools. So we don't have a nutritionist directed or dietitian, excuse me, directed straight forward to athletics. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have breakfast as a team. So what we did is we took about six weeks of polar data and we used the 
calories that it gave us to indicate what the average player's uh, caloric expenditure at practice was. And it just so happened to be 1,500 calories per practice. Now, if you don't have access to that equipment, that's fine. You can sort of move these numbers around easily if you're just taking body weight. Uh, and what we did is we sat down, the nutritionist and I, and we looked at the menus for breakfast. And we simply just divided everything into one or two categories. The food was scored red if it was a protein source or blue if it was a carbohydrate source. And each serving that would be listed for each one, so like one scoop of potatoes would be considered a serving, that would be 150 calories as were however many strips of bacon were 150 calories. So what the players would do, they would report whether they had you know, three reds and two blues that day, and that way we would track what they were eating. Now, a lot of people are, are creatures of habit and eat the same thing over and over again. Um, we then put that into an equation where we also looked at whatever supplements we provided post-workout, which for us is typically just a bottle of chocolate milk, um, and the daily smoothie that they put together where we just broke it down and took the caloric value of that and added it together. We then simply just looked at whether they were gaining or losing weight. And we're going to go over those equations in the next episode. But basically, if they were losing weight, it was real easy. We could sit down with the kids and say, hey, you're having three reds and two blues Maybe we want to add some more carbs to your breakfast. Let's have a third blue, and we can add that way. And then it's an easy way to track, easy way to get people across campus involved in athletics, and an easy way for you to be able to manipulate simply the nutrition plan of your student-athletes. In the next episode, guys, we'll come back. We'll talk about the equations that we used, how we wrote them, and what it showed us uh, with what we did with the student-athletes. Again, Kevin and Rob, thanks for all you're doing. Guys, I hope that this helped a little bit, and we will be back next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we have the head of SNC at the NSCA, Scott Caulfield. So welcome to the podcast, Scott. Thanks a lot, Rob. Great to be here. It's great to have you, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, do you just want to give us a little bit of a, a background on you and, and what you're currently doing? Sure. Uh, so I'm out at the NSCA headquarters where people may or may not know that we do actually have a training facility here in Colorado Springs, about 6,000 square feet. Um, and so aside from all the education and content that uh, we put out for the NSCA, uh, we actually get to train athletes on a regular basis. So it's a pretty uh, unique position in that uh, we can have our hand in a bunch of different uh, athletes from high school to college to tactical um, to regular folks, you know, and then do all the other associated things within the NSCA. Um, But I also got started being a volunteer in the NSCA. So I was uh, the Vermont State Director of the NSCA before I got hired on here at the headquarters. So what did you do before that, Scott? What was the uh, what was the kind of lead up to the NSCA? Yeah, you know, I did a little bit of everything in strength and conditioning and fitness. Um, immediately before coming to, to the headquarters position, I was a strength coach at Dartmouth College, which is in Hanover, New Hampshire, uh, Ivy League school, and I worked with football, men's and women's swimming, and rugby there. Um, 
It was a great position. Um, I really enjoyed it. You know, we in Ivy League too. You have uh, like thirty teams too, uh, who sometimes train with strength and conditioning. But uh, I got to work with some really good strength coaches there. Um, get a really good experience. Uh, prior to that, I was also working in the private sector. Um, like I said, running a sports performance center uh, there in New Hampshire. And then also before that, you know, I think I started like many of us do uh, just personal training and really figuring out um, what I was going to do as a craft. And I really enjoyed the athlete side of things. And, you know, once I had uh, gotten a personal training certification, I learned more about the NSCA and the CSCS certification started pursuing that route. Uh, and just meeting people and networking and kind of seeing what it was all about and realized that I really liked the college sector a lot. Um, right immediately, too, before Dartmouth, I worked for an ABA basketball team. So that's the one that you've seen uh, with the red, white, and blue basketball um, that Dr. J made famous back in his day. But it was still going uh, in the early 2000s. We had mid-2000s. We had a team in Vermont called the Vermont Frost Heaves. And uh, you'd have to be a name. New Englander or at least know what uh, a Frost Heave is to um, get that uh, inside. Why is it? Why is this, Carl? So Frost Heaves uh, happen when the weather changes in New England as well as other places and it creates like a bump in the road. And so okay. it, it was this little bumps that happened underneath the pavement. Uh, and so that was that was one of our corny little taglines was we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be a bump in your road. <laughs> oh, nice, yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so that was a really neat experience. Uh, it was you know it's professional. There was a salary cap. Um, the ABA is a really interesting uh, atmosphere because you have guys who are just trying to start their professional basketball career, and you have also guys who are trying to extend their career. So who may have been playing pro in Europe may have, you know, had their stints with the NBA. Um, but we really fortunate. We got a really great head coach and a really supportive uh, front office. We actually ended up winning the ABA championship in 2006 and 2007. And in 2007, actually, uh, Sporting News called the, called us the best team in minor league basketball, which included the CBA. So that was a pretty neat accolade. Very good. Yeah. So I know I've, I've kind of discussed this with with a couple of people, and I kind of know the the answer already. But I think it's um, it's still good to have a little chat about it. And what regards to personal training, obviously before hitting the um, the kind of athletic population, what what kind of grounding that give you, and how important do you think that was for um, for you moving forward in your career? I think it was good. I think it was a good experience to. Um, learn that one-on-one -on -one interaction and to be able to um, design programs for individuals before I had to do it for a team um, and to understand a little bit more about individualization. So I think it was a great uh, stepping stone along the path really to, to going into the big team settings where you had to be able to think on your feet and, you know, work with a large group. And so I really, I really appreciate that time um, a lot from my beginning. Mm -hmm. So I just want to talk to you about, about the NSCA. Um, obviously we have the, uh, the UKSCA over here and I'm just really interested to hear, hear more about the NSCA as an organization and it's kind of, um, obviously from someone who's in it and maybe its aims and its kind of values and, and how it sees itself moving the profession forwards. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been a member of the NSCA since I got 
my CSCS certification in 2003. And, you know, like I said, I had the opportunity to, um, I, you know, I started going to conferences and, and just meeting people and, uh, and realized early on from the people that I met that you could get involved as a volunteer and there was a lot of different opportunities to get involved. And I was fortunate enough to become the state director uh, where you get to put on your own state clinics. And I think that's one of the things to me that makes the NSCA so unique um, because we have state and regional uh, chapters, if you will, um, directors who put on conferences and networking events. Um, and you can, you can go from being a state director to being a regional director or to getting on committees. You know, we, we have so many um, really passionate members too that are volunteers. Um, that do so much for the organization that I think it's really great. You know, obviously it's governed like many other uh, organizations by a board of directors. And so right now with Dr. Greg Hoff running the show, um, I think it's a very good time for the strength and conditioning community. Um, you know, he's, he's been in the, he's, you know, been a researcher. He's been a lot of different places. He's always had a very, um, you know, really high regard for strength and conditioning coaches and especially um, the board now really you know keeps in mind the history of the NSCA that it was formed and founded by strength and conditioning coaches um, and that we need to really you know serve all of our members but that our strength and conditioning coaches are really the founding members of this organization. Um, we did just do some recent strategic planning uh, the board did with a number of uh, Another number number of members and have come up with some you know big key areas such as leadership and growth and um, you know area really want that will really involve much of the um, membership and much of the volunteers to help us get to these different areas. So what do the what do the NSCA see them the areas being? Um, leadership, you know, being more of an advocate for coaches. Um, being a better um, partnering with other organizations so really working well together with others and I think we're seeing that uh, currently from a lot of our kind of strategic uh, relationships and uh, liaison organizations that we're working with we're working more and more together hand in hand to, you know not try and be the one-stop shop you know we need we know what we do really well um, we have great researchers. Uh, we have great journals that try and spread the research and the application. We have great coaches. So, you know, we're not trying to do everything. We're not trying to give everything. If we don't know something, we're going to seek out those experts and help promote those uh, people into those areas. How much crossover do you have with the UKSCA and the ASCA? Do you kind of... Obviously, maybe not you directly, but the, the organization as a whole. I know you have like a, someone who goes from the NSCA who maybe speaks or a couple of people speak at the UKSCA that's kind of funded and all that kind of thing. But with regards to kind of sharing what the vision is globally, do you do you have any, yeah. any insights well, there? Have, uh, we do. Right now, the relationship is kind of based on, um, like you said, uh, speaker exchanges but um we've we've you know we've sat down with the asca leadership and exchanged uh strategic goals and talked about what are the other possibilities that we can do um last year i was able to see um 
Julian and Peter, and we got to kind of talk shop and see, hey, where, where else are there places that we can align? And especially with Dr. Hoff being over there in Australia, it's like, what other things we can do? And there's so many, you know, cross involvement with people of the UK SCA and the NSCA, um, like Rodri Lloyd and others. Um, Ian Jeffries, there's so many other people that it's just, I think we just have to get the right people in the room together to sit down a little bit and kind of see where else we can collaborate and strategize. Um, so I'm looking forward to the to these kind of future things. Like I said, some of this stuff, I mean, I wouldn't say it's new. I think people have had discussions and tried to think about different things, but I think we're in a, the NSCA is in a position now where they're really looking to strengthen some of these key uh, relationships and I think that is going to be you know some of the discussions that will be happening sooner than later mm -hmm. so putting your kind of coach hat on um, which obviously you are primarily anyway what what would you think as a as a coach maybe someone that's um, maybe just starting out in the profession or has been a couple of years what kind of support would you expect from um, like an NSCA UKSCA ASCA and maybe what are the the little areas that um, that we can plug that maybe aren't aren't there at the minute? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think obviously internships, um, learning is a big part of it, and you know, we're we're trying to provide a better experience in our own internships here at the headquarters. Um, we do have uh, a new certificate program that is being coming out called. Um, fundamentals of coaching lifts so it's a two-day course on where you're evaluated on how to coach someone performing the lifts and the four lifts that we focus on are the squat the power clean the push press and the bench press we've had a number of our professionals some really top top-notch strength coaches top professors and researchers around the country working on this certificate um, it's been about a two-year process to get this thing out. And, and, you know, I think that's been the knock uh, on the CSCS was that you could just uh, study and take a test and maybe not know how to coach someone or how to perform a lift. And this is going to be that critical part that will help people with the hands-on, not just performing a lift, but hands-on coaching piece that, uh, that will really help people kind of, you know, advance their careers. Also, you know, obviously, we want to be a resource uh, to people all throughout their career. So I, we really focused on, uh, through our conferences, doing career sessions where you have people, um, you know, who are out in the field, whether it's in the college or professional or high school setting, talking about um, how to be a college strength coach, how to be a pro strength coach, whatever that area is, whether it's personal training or TSAC. And so the career sessions that we've done and recorded and made uh, as web content on the website, we have career development guides, which are like a hard copy with the article that they write. Um, so part of it is they write an article and do a presentation. Um, so these are really, I think, key kind of, you know, this is how I did it resources um, for coaches and trainers. So is that, is that practical element an add-on to the CSCS or is that completely separate? So it can't be part of the CSCS um, because of the accreditation stuff, like okay. whatever. Um, I think people would like to see it someday. I don't know if that's a po I don't know if that's possible or not. I know that there are some, you know, obviously the UK SCA and the ASCA have some hands-on and, you know, there's a 
there's definitely an assessment portion to it. Um, I know that it's difficult to do it to something already existing like the CSCS and with the accreditation part, that, that's the tricky stuff that, uh, that I don't know much about. But right now it's going to be a kind of an add-on and it's definitely geared toward, you know, entry-level coaches, um, sport coaches, you know, people that are interested. Um, but I can also see it, it's been very well done and really, really great job by the coaches who have put it together. I can see coaches who have been coaching for 5, 10, 15 years still wanting to go through this and, uh, and participate in the course, even though it's more like an entry-level beginner course. Mm -hmm. So just you mentioned there about internships, and, it's, and we'll come on to the um, – the UKSCA survey that was done recently. <clears throat> I'm definitely not here to kind of preach about what I think um, regarding internships, but what's the kind of consensus within the the NSCA? And I don't mean to stitch you up by uh, making you say something that that you know maybe doesn't reflect the the um, what other guys think down there. But what's the kind of consensus when it comes to internships? And the, the kind of conversation around whether they're paid, unpaid, um, and just a kind of bit of controversy recently about, um, about internships. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, we don't definitely, there, there's no NSCA stance on internships. Um, I mean, I will, I will say we've changed our program um, to where we um, pay our interns. I mean, it's always been paid, but we won't work them over 40 hours a week. And if they work over 40 hours a week, we pay them overtime and we're not mm -hmm. just trying to get the, the most out of their hours that we possibly can and work them into the ground. So, you know, I hope that we're kind of setting a, setting the bar a little bit and creating maybe a model that other people will look at so that it's not just uh, about getting free help. And, you know, I mean, I understand being in the trenches and needing help and you know a lot of us also you know had to had to work for free and do different things I mean I volunteered at Dartmouth uh, for a while before I actually got hired on there and so you know I think um, I was also working a ton of hours you know sports performance you know to to pay my bills as well so you know people understand the grind but I mean I don't think that we need to I don't think that these young people coming up in the profession need to like be beaten into submission to uh, earn their marks, you know, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're better than that and we can create a better profession by, uh, you know, setting better standards and giving them um, a more professional career. So how, how do, how do, people go about doing that and is there is there something i mean there's a lot of uh, talk over here of kind of um really putting like a, a policy together for kind of ukca to to stand by when it comes to internships and the kind of level of of education that someone should fit into a certain category uh, whether they're paid unpaid is that something you feel is is doable and is is the is the answer to so kind of internships? I, I think it is. I think we could uh, put out, you know, better kind of positions or better um, models. You know, I know there's a lot of places out there that are probably doing a great job with 
their intern positions and they have looked into whether they've gone to their athletic directors or gone into other resources where they've had to, you know, to really show that they really value these positions. Um, and I think, you know, that'd be a, a good thing uh, for the NSCA and the Collegiate Strength Coaches Association, the CSCCA, maybe to collaborate on and, and work together on. You know, we've we've uh, come together on a couple different things recently around some NCAA stuff to, uh, you know, issue a joint statement to work together. So I think maybe that might be a good step, another step for us to kind of collaborate on something. Mm-hmm. So when we chatted about the, um, the UKSCA survey that was done uh, i think that was released a couple of days ago after the after it was part of the UKCA, and you mentioned that the nsca are going to follow suit with something yeah. like that it'd just be interesting to get your kind of prediction on how that may fare compared to the the UKCA. yeah yeah i'm survey. interested to see so it's a demographic survey um and, and we're working on doing that i think a tough one with some of these in from what i've learned in my six years of being here at the nsca is um, it's tough sometimes to get people to fill these out, right? So that's one kind of uh, roadblock that you end up dealing with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was looking at, you know, kind of um, the membership that uh, different membership wedges and different stretching experience wedges that they have on this, uh, as well as like formal education. So, you know, the vast majority were in that three to 10 year mark. Um, or even you could even say zero to 10 was really the vast majority from an experience standpoint. And I think, I think we'll likely see a pretty similar, um, uh, um, breakdown with our members, um, and experience obvious or education to, you know, bachelor's degrees and then master's degrees, uh, obviously too, that's going to be pretty similar. Pretty much everybody has both of those. And, you know, at least for us, you know, that seems master's degree is, is pretty much a minimum qualification as well as a strength and conditioning certification for employment these days anyway. Right. Which is crazy. Right. Which is absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just getting my, I mean, I'm it, just finishing my master's degree right now. I've been out of school for uh, 15 years and I'm kind of, it was one of the boxes mm-hmm. that I just never checked. I mean, when I got out of college, that really wasn't uh, as big of a thing as it is now. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. but that's been a neat, neat experience for me to do at this age and balance working full time and travel and all that good stuff with going back to school and getting uh using my brain in a little different ways which has been good for me i'm sure so it's going to take a very short break in between parts one and two with scott so i hope you're enjoying part one in part two we start off with a chat around coaching philosophy and we get a little bit into into scott's philosophy then we touch on the dark arts of networking and a little bit around kind of making the most of conferences and how to approach people and things like that which is really really interesting so just before we get into part two, which I hope you really enjoy, I uh, just want to say a massive thanks to both sponsors of the podcast today, which are Coach Me Plus, who, as always, provide a informative sport and science minute uh, every other episode. So thanks to them, guys. And a massive thanks to Stalwart, sponsor of the podcast, Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard. So thanks to them, guys. Uh, keep supporting the podcast and make it what it is. So I hope you enjoy part two, and I'll speak to you soon. 
just turn turn into the um, turn into the training chat a little bit. I just want to get your um, your talk about your philosophy, really, um, and obviously moving away from the the kind of NSCA chat and you put your coaching hat back on. Just talking about philosophy, how would you define your philosophy, and how how have you um, gone through the process of being able to define that, and how would you kind of recommend other people do the same? Yeah, well, this is uh, one of my favorite new topics um, because I, you know, people get asked this question a lot, and um, I think sometimes we're talking. There, you know, there's training philosophy and there's coaching philosophy, and I think um, the two obviously have to cross over to some degree. But also, a lot of the times, I don't know that when people are um, looking for that answer, that they're not sure. Like everybody knows you're supposed to have a philosophy, but they don't necessarily know how to go about doing, how about crafting that. Yeah, you know. And so, I mean, really, you know, my, my coaching philosophy is based around education and motivating, inspiring athletes um, to better themselves, you know, through training. Um, I don't really, not focused on winning, I believe, you know, in a lot of, in core values. And I think that's the key part to anyone's philosophy. So um, core values of dedication, attention to detail, teamwork, communication, and helping others are really what I kind of pride myself in my coaching philosophy on. Um, I think also having a strong network, having, you know, a, a literal strength shop of people that you can rely on and, um, you know, either refer out to. And you know that was another interesting one. I listened to uh, your interview with Dan Plath that he kind of mentioned, alluded to something similar like that in his coaching philosophy. Um, and I think it's a continual, you know, search for, mastery, whether that's as a coach through self-improvement uh, and as your coaching skills and as a person and as an athlete, obviously, uh, from an athletic standpoint. Uh, but I'm actually going down to Altus uh, on Sunday to would be uh, one of their speakers next week at their coach, uh, coach apprentice week, and uh, I'm, I'm bringing my coaching philosophy hat with me because that's my topic, so... I was I was glad you brought that up today. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean I think it's getting more kind of airtime with regards to the how how important a strong network is. Well, for for someone kind of coming through, how would you how would you recommend that that process kind of starts? Because everyone seems to know that it's so important, but maybe doesn't know where to get how to go about creating that. Yeah, uh, you know, I think um, a big part of it is just being being open to, you know, going up to people and maybe, you know, getting, for lack of a better term, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, getting, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, talking to people and um, just reaching out to them and, you know, staying connected so it doesn't have to be um, that you're, you know, that you're becoming an immediate um you know, daily communicator with them, but you're reaching out, you're finding some kind of, um, you know, break, ice breaking reason to talk to them in the first place. And, and then maybe being able to follow up and stay in touch with them, you know, cause I think that the network isn't just about, um, you know, having more people to vouch for you or if you need a job, but it's, you know, like, like we we're saying to refer out or, Hey, what, gosh, what do I do? You know, 
when I have this. And I mean, when I first, one of the first NSCA events that I went to, um, I was working with strength and conditioning for the rugby team at Norwich University, which is in Vermont. And um, I had brought my program along to this symposium on strength training. And um, Mike Barnes, who was the education director of the NSCA at the time, and Doug Lentz, who was uh, who helped at a lot of the clinics and events and stuff, um, you know, I had asked both of them if they would take a look at it. And Mike was the Cal rugby strength coach for a number of years. He was a 49er strength coach. And, and so they were both like, sure. And, you know, I didn't really push it on them, but I sent it out to them. It was probably horrible. You know, the power cleans were probably the last thing. The bicep curls were probably first. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, they, yeah, yeah. And uh, they weren't like, God, oh, you, you're an idiot. You really shouldn't try the strength and conditioning thing. They were, you know, they were super supportive and just were like, hey, you know, this is the way that typically is structured. And, and I think, um, you know, now too, when I think about networking and, you know, just staying in touch with people, um, social media, man, has made it so, so much easier for people to connect, you know, I mean, you're able to reach out to people, um, Nelson Ayette, who was the St. Louis Blues strength coach, and now he's with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets as their high-performance director. Uh, he and I connected on social media, and that was really kind of how we met, and we've gotten to have a great relationship and stay in touch about training and high-performance and all kinds of stuff. Um, and, I, I mean, I don't think it would have ever happened probably if it wasn't for Twitter, you know. So mm-hmm. I think social media is a great avenue and like we, you and I were talking about before you know the this younger generation is super savvy with it and they probably know way more about how to utilize it than us mm-hmm. many a good relationship started on twitter yeah yeah and that's i mean to be fair that's that's one of the main reasons why i started doing the podcast because i was just finishing my undergrad and thought i'm going to i'm going to come out of this with a bit of paper but that's and a little bit of experience, but that's pretty much it. I, I need to get to know people. But I think what I probably didn't realize that I do now is I didn't think people would. I, I, I felt I needed to give people a reason to speak to me. Yeah. And obviously three years down the line, after starting the podcast, I, I realized that that's probably not the case. People are more than happy to share, even if it's just 10 minutes of... I don't know, over a quick Skype or a couple of emails back and forth. But I think one thing that I definitely um, realized was that it's just as much about giving to someone as it is from as about taking. Right. So putting that, that kind of um, putting some money into that emotional bank account that then you may or may not kind of take back out later on, but definitely give first before you... Yeah. Asking for stuff all the time, sure. um, whether it just be sharing papers or sharing articles or just anything really, just to to kind of make it quite obvious that you're not just on the take all the time. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you one of my favorite quotes is from Dale Carnegie: "Is you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you." Absolutely, uh, I think it's right on the money. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So, I just want to turn it back to maybe a little bit of the NSCA, but obviously the, the the coaching head as well, and and that's bridging the the gap between um, science and practice. And I think you, you mentioned it. I, I did. I was going to write it down, but I forgot when you did mention something to that effect with regards to the NSCA and how we kind of work together with, or how you guys maybe work together with external partners and. 
what's the kind of key to to making that happen to to bridging that gap for practitioners yeah you know i think there's a lot of a lot of different ways this is happening um I think that the the online journals that we have now, the NSCA Coach, um, the Personal Training Quarterly, the TSAC Report, are much more geared toward the practitioner. Whereas you know the the JSCR is very very you know research article based, um, and there's a lot of people out there still there's that are working together. So I think it's about um, you know, where the research is being done and where they're working together with coaches and high performance people, whatever it is, and they're doing a better job. It's not just, um, coaches saying, well, we're in the trenches every day and we do it like this. And that's not what happens. The researchers saying, well, we found this out and you, and you're just not doing it the right way. So I think <laughs> you're seeing, you know, you're, there's more and more, um, Places in the university setting, um, whether you know you have your Andrea Hooties and Dr. Fry, or your at Kansas and your Andy Galpins out at Cal State Fullerton, um, people that are working well together with their people in the lab, utilizing those people, and then crossing it over into your coaching world. I think more kind of you know the people that are on the cutting edge are looking to get that edge. I mean, professional sports and with all the monitoring and testing and evaluating, you know, maybe, maybe that's kind of swinging too far one direction right now, but there's certainly uh, an opportunity like there never was to collaborate between the laboratory and the field, I, I think. Mm-hmm. So one thing that just came to mind then was when you say about the monitoring and the that side of things when we're going a little bit too far with with the, the kind of traditional strength coach that is that is based in the gym with athletes coming in doing their thing and then leaving the next group coming in especially I'm just thinking of my kind of experience over here and maybe the strength and conditioning coach is kind of been expected to do other things except be in the gym although when you go to a UKSCA workshop you are working on them things them specific things but there's so, it's so multifaceted is the the kind of role of the strength con- and conditioning coach is there any uh, kind of way that maybe um assessments and workshops and things may may look at that multifaceted approach of the strength coach rather than just focusing on what happens in the gym yeah i mean that's that's a really good one because it's so much that you have to really, you have to know whatever your setting is, right? What, what is able, what you're able to do and what you're able to accomplish with mm-hmm. all these different things. So like if I get uh, heart rate monitors and GPS and tendo units, you know, and then I'm not even really going to utilize them. What's the purpose of it? So no, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think that, both you know a lot of these leading organizations could really you know we're we're you know maybe define even better what the role of the strength and conditioning coach what the mm-hmm. roles are and um, that's another thing actually that we've been working on so we have a standards and guidelines document um, that we're in the process of updating that should be out in the beginning of 2017 with 
you know, kind of has that specific thing between the roles and the expectations and job descriptions. And so that's more of, you know, something that's a professional resource to help people in their setting. Um, I mean, I think that's obviously always going to be the interesting piece of it is how do you manage all these different things, you know, and if, if you're not going to use it, then do you really need it? Is that, um, is that something that's kind of, focus on the collegiate setting or is that something that's kind of across the board yeah i mean it seems, seems mostly seems mostly collegiate and professional to me i think you know the um high school coaches are going to have their own kind of thing we're doing a lot of um kind of resource building right now for our high school strength coach members and future members um there's a lot of um there's a task force actual NSCA high school task force that's working on a number of initiatives that are going to provide resources similar to that kind of here's what you take to your athletic director to show them why you need a strength and conditioning coach. Um, here's the, here's the paperwork, here's related to liability related to whatever. Um, but that's, that's definitely something organizationally that we need to do um, more and we're currently working on, which is great. Cool. Well, I'm just conscious of time, obviously middle of the day for you. So you obviously, you're busy at the moment. So I just want to, uh, want to round up, but where can people keep in touch with what you've got going on? Obviously loving the Instagram stories. Got to oh, mention yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. They um, can follow so me on Instagram, coach Caulfield, uh, Twitter at Scott Caulfield. Uh, my email is pretty easy. It's just my name, Scott.Caulfield at NSCA.com. Uh, love to see it anyone and everyone at a you know our events our our big coaching event is in january this year it's going to be in nashville um and that's our annual coaches conference and it's grown the last three years uh each year it's gotten bigger and bigger and better and i think this year we'll continue um we've got some really really great speakers and we had over 900 coaches last year, so really looking forward to that. Clinics at wow. the NSCA headquarters, so uh, like you and I were talking, we just renovated our headquarters. If anyone hasn't seen that, check out my Instagram or look on the NSCA Facebook. Uh, got a cool time lapse, uh, but we've got really cool new layout, really effective for what we do here. So we still train athletes, but we also do coaching clinics, educational events, uh, our layout and our flow for coaches and coaching events is just really great at the headquarters now. So we always love to have visitors. If they're ever in Colorado Springs, come in, bring your workout gear, get a lift in, hang out with us. We love that. So what kind of, what, what, what kind of athletes uh, come through there, Scott? Yeah, uh, we have almost, you know, literally a wide, wide array. So um, we have a lot of ice hockey athletes. We're right next to a facility that has three ice halls in it, three sheets of ice. So the majority of our athletes are actually youth ice hockey. Um, we have a relationship with the Colorado Springs Amateur Hockey Association. So we train uh, most of their teams. So we have their 16s, their 18s, 20-year-olds. Um, we're going to train some of their younger ones. Our tactical program, so we're training the Colorado Springs SWAT team, the tactical enforcement unit, members of the bomb squad, uh, El Paso County SWAT, their bomb squad, uh, regular regular police officers, and then you know you've got 
regular Joes are average people from the NSCA uh, staff to next door USA Hockey, our, our neighbors, they come over and work out. Um, and then everybody in between. We do some cool stuff every now and then. Uh, in 2014, I got to help the U.S. Paralympic sled hockey team prep for before they went to Sochi. So that was a really great experience and working with those guys. And so there's all, all kinds of different. But, you know, and that's why I tell our interns they really have a unique experience because they could work with a youth athlete, a tactical athlete, like a SWAT officer, regular people, and, you know, high school and college kids all in the same day. So it's a, it's a really neat experience for them. Cool. Well, I'm, um, I always do that. Say round it up and then ask another yeah. question. <laughs> anyway, 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 it's great to chat, Scott, and uh, really appreciate your time in the, in the middle of your day and uh, giving me time to chat yeah, to us. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. No, that's great, mate. Speak okay, to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye, pal. Thanks for tuning in to episode 111 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Scott. Definitely give him a follow on Instagram, put some great stuff out there, and it's great to see the NSCA gym, new gym, in all its glory. So massive thanks to Coach Me Plus and Vald Performance for sponsoring the episode today. Be sure to check them guys out. Um, they continue to spot the podcast, which I'm eternally grateful for. Um, it, it enables the podcast to continue in its in its current form. So thanks to them guys and thanks for you for tuning in. Hope to bring you some great guests over the next couple of weeks uh, and I will speak to you soon.